All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Colossians. Now, the last time we were here, we simply gave an introduction to the overall book that is written by Paul, the date roughly around 60 to 62 AD. We saw the theme and purposes of the book uh, dealing with issues of proto-Gnosticism. We'll kind of talk about that as we move along in the text um, uh, and the supremacy of Christ Jesus and dealing with those particular Judaizers, false Jewish teachers who were trying to influence the Gentile believers, namely these Colossians, to accept and practice some form of the Mosaic law. But anyway, so we did all of that in our introductory material. So therefore, there's nothing really to talk about. So we might as well just simply get into the text of chapter one. Now, we want to look at, for the most part, probably up to verse number 13. And the reason because once we get after verse number 13 and we actually begin to get into the remainder of this chapter, that is that which particularly pertains to the person of Christ. It's almost like a common Christi, so to speak, concerning the person of Jesus Christ. But anyway, we just want to get into the first introductory parts, and then in our next video, as we continue on, that is concerning the person of Jesus versus uh, 15 and beyond. Okay, enough. Let's just get started with the introduction and we'll just kind of close it with this introduction of the epistle itself. And later on, we'll get into the glory of Jesus. All right, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. So he opens up in uh, his normal introductory way, referencing himself, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And now, even though there's not a lot to be said about this, that is his being an apostle here, uh, uh, not so, so, so special, but it is a great implication later on that we're going to find out as we continue on in this letter. But he is the apostle to the Gentiles by the will of God. And of course, Timothy is along with him and the recipients of his letter is to the saints at Colossae, or the Colossians, as we call them, the Colossians, or some people may call it. But nevertheless, he also states to the faithful brethren. Now, oftentimes, you can tell by the way that Paul begins to address his audience or as he's opening his letter, and it seems to be the case, not strongly here, but seems to be the case, but oftentimes you can tell uh, uh, the, the way that Paul is going to address certain issues. OK, and we know since we've already and if you have already looked at that introduction. All right. Dealing with those proto-Gnostic Jewish heretics. If you haven't looked at the introduction, you really need to. But anyway, the stuff that they are going to try to introduce, this will uh bring the Colossians uh, down from, if you'll let me say it that way, down from their steadfastness or from their faithfulness 
in adhering to the gospel to the which they were originally taught. And we'll talk about all of that, but I just simply said that to give some sort of a implication towards faithful brethren, because Paul didn't always use this particular terminology in the opening and the addresses of his letter. So I was simply saying was a lot of times in the opening and the address, you can kind of get a feel for the direction that Paul is headed towards. And one of the issues are going to be here is in the person of Jesus Christ in what these people, the Colossians, were first taught, that is by Epaphras. We'll see all of that in the text. What these people were first taught by Epaphras in the gospel, in the hearing of the gospel, concerning the person of Jesus Christ. What? What is that idea? Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Remain unmovable. Remember? Again, let's go. Let's think back to the introduction because what some people are coming trying to influence you in other ways. So therefore, disregard what they are saying. Disregard heretical doctrine. Disregard these other men and remain faithful. So you can kind of get a feel for the direction that Paul is trying to head. But anyway, let's just move on beyond the introduction. So he continues to say, verse number three, we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Okay, so now this is kind of a long statement, but nevertheless, Paul continues on in the way that he normally does. Paul, apostle Jesus Christ, anybody that's with him. Grace and peace, salutation, okay? Then the thanksgiving section, and this is a, a part of that. What? We give thanks to God for you, and we are always praying for you. Notice what he said in verse number four. Since we heard of the faith, of your faith in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul said, we heard of it. Now, uh, uh, this also helps us to understand, too, because he's going to get into verse number seven, even though I'm not there yet, just as you learned it from Epaphras. So all of that is connected. But I just kind of wanted to break it up so we wouldn't have such a long statement here. But the point is that Paul was not the founder of this particular congregation, that they heard the gospel and was taught the gospel from another faithful messenger of the gospel, this Epaphras that we're going to talk about in verse number seven. But let's continue on with this section of thanksgiving. So it just simply says we're thanking God for basically for their salvation, for their faith in Jesus Christ. And in receiving the gospel, they hear about others 
who have been saved and they have what? A unifying love for all of the saints, that love that brings us all together. And so this message of their salvation, the Colossians, and their love for other saints, and even their concern for the apostle Paul, all of these things have reached his ears and thus he is giving thanks for these particular Christians. And now with respect to their faith, that is the gospel, this speaks to that inheritance because the whole point of the gospel is salvation. What Jesus has done that God, the second person in the divine trinity has come into the flesh, has taken upon himself the sins for his elect people, rose from the dead and therefore by him and giving them remission from their sins, he has indeed given them an inheritance. And this is a part of the gospel message. What? That those who believe in Christ Jesus, all of that stuff that I just got through talking about, you yourself are an inheritor of the blessings that God has laid up for his people. But anyway, uh, that's what we're talking about in verse number five the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You heard all of these things through what? The preaching of the gospel. And concerning this gospel, this gospel, and you have to, uh, uh, I don't want to just get into all of the minutia, but you can really feel what the apostle Paul is saying in that as he infers the unchangeable sense and the unchangeable nature of the message of the gospel that is the gospel that was preached to you. We'll talk about Epaphras in verse number seven, but the gospel that was originally preached to you, this gospel has not changed. And this gospel continues to propagate into all of the world, this unchanging gospel, the truth of your faith. Okay. But anyway, and what is it doing? Bearing fruit, increasing in all of the world. And that's why you can kind of feel that as he says, what? Just like it did in you since the day you heard of it and you understood the grace of God in truth. So notice what it says. The gospel continues to grow and is bearing fruit. And again, that implication of what Paul is driving is the unchangeable nature of the gospel. And you can understand that. And the reason why I'm, I'm emphasizing is so that you guys will understand when Paul begins to deal with the heretical teachings that are trying to infiltrate the church, Paul is simply saying the gospel that came to you at the first remains the same. It is the same fruitful gospel that is ever expanding into the world. So therefore, if the gospel is the same and fruitful and is the initial gospel that came unto you, what is the idea? What is the, the, the implication? I'm seeming to use that word a lot. But what is the implication that is being driven here? Hold to the gospel that was first preached to you. And this is always the, the case when dealing with heretical teachings. Okay. But anyway, uh, since you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now you heard and what 
understood the grace of God in truth. You Colossians heard the gospel. You Colossians understood the gospel that when they came, when these messengers, namely Epaphras, we're going to get into it. I keep stumbling there. But when he came and preached to you, Christ Jesus, in him, the fullness of everything, in him, all that you need, faith in him, all that you need, and you will be saved, escaping the damnation that is to come upon the world. When you understood this message in truth, okay, and thus this lays the foundation for your salvation. But let's continue. Verse number seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved bond servant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the spirit. So now let's just simply close this section of thanksgiving. In the section, in this section, we also see what? That these Colossians did not hear and learn the gospel from the apostle Paul, but they learned it from Epaphras. And he calls Epaphras a fellow worker alongside of Paul, no doubt of Timothy and others, but a fellow worker of Paul in the gospel. So this gospel that they learned from Epaphras, the gospel, the same gospel that Paul himself is preaching, you can kind of see what you hold on to this gospel. And Epaphras also informed us what of your love in the spirit, your love for other believers, even your love for us, the apostles of Jesus Christ and the fellow workers of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's bring this little section to a close. For this reason, and I like that, I like that. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna take my time with that part and I'm gonna talk about that. But for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Man, look at all of those uh, uh, statements. Strengthened uh, with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And you got to go, Whew, that was a long statement. It's really, it's almost like one sentence. But anyway, let's look at what he said. For this reason, for this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So in other words, we see now a responsive statement coming from Paul. We've heard of your salvation. We've heard of your love in Christ Jesus, your love for the saints, your love for us. And thus, how do we respond? We respond, we, Paul the Apostle, and, and other uh, servants of Christ Jesus, we do not stop 
praying for you. We continue, let me say it that way. We continue to pray for you that you may be filled. Now, here is where, here is where another one of those strong implications concerning the reason to why Paul wrote the letter is involved. What? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word knowledge here is epignosis, epignosis. And it is, it is a, the normal word, the general word that you'll see for knowledge in the Greek would be gnosis. Epignosis, you'll see, is actually used for, it's a more intensive use of the word. It means a more personal or intimate knowledge, a more derived knowledge because of uh, relating to something in a more intimate way. And this is what Paul is talking about. And the point, the point is that uh, these, again, referring back, going back to the introduction that we did, the heretical Jewish teachers who were bringing in all types of new things, adding all types of new things to the gospel or to the preaching of the gospel that Epaphras had first given them trying to bring in alongside of what? Like the law and other things like the worship of angels. All of this you'll find out internally in the uh, epistle to the Colossians themselves. In the epistles themselves itself, you'll find all of these issues there. But the point is they're bringing in all of this and this is what we were talking about, protognosticism. That is uh, having some type of uh, 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 knowledge that others do not have, elevated knowledge, superior knowledge that grants the person who has this knowledge a closer relationship or a better understanding of Christ than anybody else has. But you got you to gotta follow after them and listen to what they're saying. Really, the point is these heretical teachings Okay, I'm going too far in it. Let me just simply do it this way. Paul is just simply saying, notice what? He is praying that they should have the true knowledge again over against what these others may be trying to tell them. They're telling you, you need to have this special knowledge. You say, for instance, of the Mosaic law or say, for instance, again, as I was talking about, I don't want to re repeat myself in all of these things, <laughs> but uh, uh, following certain Jewish traditions and things of that nature. All right. And if you do these things, you will have this special salvific relationship, unique uh, even for you Gentile Christians. Okay, going back to the text because I'm harping too much. So he wants them to have the true knowledge, not this false teaching knowledge of the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and in understanding. So this is what Paul wants them to have. Kind of like what Peter said, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul wants them to have a true, deep, and intimate knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And not, if you'll let me say it this way, and not be moved by false heretical teachings apart from Christ. Or even, 
as we'll see it later on, this is what comes in the next section. Any false or heretical teaching that lowers or debases the glory of the person of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, the all in all of Jesus, anything that limits, lowers, or introduces something other than Jesus, it's not true wisdom. It's not true wisdom. Anything that takes away from the glory and the worship of Jesus, of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord, anything that debilitates that. So that is not true wisdom. But what is the purpose of wisdom? And I like this. What is the purpose of that wisdom of Christ Jesus, of this knowledge, not some form of superficial knowledge, but true intimate knowledge. What is the purpose of godly knowledge? Verse number 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, actually that's in an infinitive form, but the translation is fine. Okay. So that it speaks to purpose. It speaks to purpose. Learning about scripture, learning about doctrine, learning about Jesus, learning the truth of the nature. You can call it the Bible as a whole because all of the Bible as a whole literally points to the glory of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Lord of glory. All of scripture really points is fulfilled in him. All of it, all of it. So, but the point of it is, is not to give you the big head. It's not so that you will simply know something for the sake of knowing it. It is that it might shape your character, that it might shape the way you live, that it might shape every aspect of your life. Again, let's look at it. And this, I guess if I had to make any to do about this particular section, if any part of this section personally moves me and I would want to drive it home to you, it would simply be this verse nine and 10 Paul's prayer that the Colossian readers, that's for all of God's people should be, should be filled with the knowledge, true knowledge, epignosis, the true knowledge and all wisdom in Christ Jesus. But what is knowledge and wisdom for? What is it for? So that, verse number 10, you will walk. Walk means how you live, how you live from day to day what you do with that life. So it's not something that is done from the pridefulness of the mind. It is not something done to set an individual aside to say, oh, he or she really knows the Bible. Let me say it this way, because I'm tired of struggling. Let me talk like I want to talk. That don't mean crap. It don't mean crap how much you know. And I don't care how much you know, somebody else knows more than you know. It is not about pride. It is about shaping the way that you live before Christ Jesus. You want to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Notice what the text says: to please him in all respects, bearing fruit 
in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's about how you live. The true knowledge of God is not about having uh, uh, letters after your name. It's not about appearances. It's about the shaping of the life, learning what it is to please God. And the only way that you'll know how to please God, you need to have this knowledge that comes from God. God has to make you aware of what pleases him. And so what is Paul praying? He says, and we pray ever since we've heard that you guys have gotten saved, we continue to pray that you guys come into the true knowledge of God so that you can walk in a way that pleases him. And then he says in verse number 11, so that what? Because all of this is tied on that you yourself would be strengthened with all power according to the might of God. Notice for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And then he says, joyously giving thanks. Now, what I didn't want to do was to get into the Greek text with this, but I got to get into it a little bit because I kind of disagree with the way that they uh, translated it. They got it right when they said for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. But notice it says semicolon. Oh, my God. I probably shouldn't have taken you all there. But since I've opened the door, let's keep going. Joyously giving thanks to the father. Not not. No, no. For the, okay. Oh, I love it. I love it. So what is he saying? He is saying he's continuing on for the growth of the Christian believer, that the Christian believer should walk in a way that pleases God, that the Christian believer should be strengthened with power. According to the might of God, God will strengthen him. Notice for the attaining It's another one of those things. It's all in my head and I'm not putting it out of my mouth. <laughs> Y'all forgive me. For the attaining of all steadfastness, steadfastness and patience, metakaros. That's what I was talking about, that Greek point. With joy, okay? And I guess you can say joyously giving thanks to God. But actually the text says, metakaros, eucharistuntes. Eucharistuntes toi patro, toi hikonosanti. Uh, uh, giving thanks to the father, uh, the one who has supplied us. Okay. But anyway, uh, so that, so Paul is simply saying is this, let me go ahead on because I've gotten into Greek praying. He said, I've heard about you guys getting saved. I pray that you have the knowledge that God wants you to truly have that intimate knowledge. And this true intimate knowledge should result in how you live a life that is pleasing to God. And in living that life, notice, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience with the joy. And that, again, infers to Paul's writing, one of the reasons why he wrote the letter. What? You have these Judaizers. All of this is going to come internalized in the text. We'll discuss it. You have these Judaizers who are coming into your church and they're teaching all of these other doctrines, other things outside, apart from what Epaphras has taught you. 
Epaphras was the one who originally preached to you the gospel. And you know what? These teachers, false teachers, are trying to tell you that you can attain to some higher level, some higher knowledge. And all you have to do is to practice these things and to do these traditions that we are teaching you. And then you can be filled and then you can be complete and then you can be perfect. But I, Paul, am telling you, hold to the gospel that was originally brought to you by Epaphras. This is the same gospel that is being preached and bearing fruit in all of the world. And ever since that I've heard, we heard that you guys were saved and you, we meant a lot to you. The body of Christ meant a lot to you. We have continued to pray for you and that indeed you be filled with the true knowledge of God. And that true knowledge of God should affect the way that you live. And notice, and once having this knowledge of God, what? Attaining these things with all steadfastness and patience with joy. That is Hold on to what you have been taught with joy. Hold on to it. But anyway, let's finish the section. Giving thanks to the Father who is qualified to us to share in the heritage of the saints in light. Giving thanks to God for all that God has done and what he has given us in salvation. Same salvation he has given to the other elect members of the body, the saints of God in light. Okay. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, verse 13, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Again, continuing on talking about that which the father has done. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That is simply talking about from the power of Satan, from our sins the domain of darkness, but he did not just simply rescue us. He also what transferred us. He took us from out of one and brought us into another, took us out of darkness and brought us into what his marvelous light, the kingdom of his beloved son. That is Jesus in whom, what we do we have with Jesus? We have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. That is through the work of Jesus, what Jesus did on that cross and shedding his blood, we have the forgiveness of sins. Okay, I know that introduction, introductory material of chapter one wasn't too long, I don't think. It was kind of a little cumbersome, but what you have to understand is there is so much inference and implication that Paul is throwing at us early on in the text. But again, as you kept hearing me rehash the same thing again and again, that is Paul's primary driver. The gospel, that which concerns Jesus and the fullness of what Jesus is, who Jesus is, the fullness of that message that Epaphras preached to you, hold on to it and don't be moved away from it. That's the idea that Paul is really 
driving home. Why? Because from this point on, we're going to deal with the heresies that have erupted in the Colossian body. And number one, that primary heresy is the sufficiency, the glory of the person of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about on our next video. All right, guys, if this video has been a blessing to you, uh, be sure to subscribe and hit that like button and remember to support the ministry. All right, guys, thanks for joining me. See you next time.